What's up, everybody? Want to welcome you to week four of Reply All. And uh, by now, those of you that have been in each week, uh, you know that as you've been here, I haven't. And uh, where am I? What's going on? Am I on the amazing race? No, I couldn't make it. I would need an inhaler. Um, but I will tell you this, a few months ago, our deacon team uh, came to me and said, Pastor Jeremy, we, we value you and we would be very open to you taking some extended time every year, uh, just a few weeks off uh, beyond your vacation to rest, rejuvenate, study, so you don't have to be preaching every Sunday. And, and we, we want to support that because we see a lot of other churches and larger organizations doing that in order to uh, help their, their leaders stay refreshed and rejuvenated. And I want to tell you, um, that means a lot to me uh, that this church and its leadership would care so much about my wife and I uh, that they would make that kind of investment. You may be sitting here saying, boy, that'd be nice. I wish I could do that. I wish you could too, because it's life-changing. In the meantime, I cannot wait to be back in a couple of weeks, but today you guys are in for a crazy treat because one of my buddies, we actually met, crazy how we met, we met in Africa both of us were guest speakers at a large council of, of churches and pastors and thousands of people in attendance. And uh, my, my friend that I got to uh, uh, hang out with, go on safaris with, uh, we got to preach together, him and his wife, Shaylin. Um, they have just had such an impact on me. And I'm so thankful that he gets to come while I'm gone and you get to meet my good friend, Greg Ford. Greg launched a church several years ago called One Church in Ohio. It is now a multi-site church. It's over a couple thousand people strong just in the last few years. God is doing incredible work, and this guy, uh, this guy's got a message that is in response to your survey, but it is a message that is going to challenge you, encourage you. You're not going to be the same. That's what I'm believing for you. Come on, everybody. Timber Creek Church, give it up for my friend, Greg Ford. Good morning, Timber Creek. Bro, I got to be honest with you. 9.30 was more fired up than you all are, and you got to sleep in, and you got your coffee in. Some of you already did brunch. Good morning, Timber Creek. All right, good to see you all. It's an honor to be here, and I want to greet everybody that's uh, here in service, everybody on the live stream. We've got some people on the live stream. Say what's up to them. And I don't know if uh, Pastor Jeremy and Janet are watching, but... Uh, if they are, why don't you just kind of put your hands together, show them some love while they're uh, on their break. I just want to give uh, love and honor to them. They are wonderful people. They've become very close friends over the last few years. And uh, as Pastor Jeremy mentioned, he and I went to Malawi, Africa together. And uh, there are some stories I could tell you about your pastor, but none of them would be appropriate for this setting. So I'm going to go ahead and just table that for now. Maybe I, I'm hoping to be able to come back, so I won't tell uh, tell those stories now. But anyways, uh, such an honor to be here. I, uh, I'm from Columbus, Ohio, and a uh, pastor there, as he mentioned. And, um, uh, but I went to college in Texas, so I kind of feel like a partial citizen. Uh, I went to school in Waxahachie. Anybody been to Waxahachie, Texas? And, uh, you know, I <clears throat> came from Ohio, and, and for the first six months, everybody just called me Ohio. They didn't even bother to 
learn my name. They just called me Ohio. And I'll, I'll never forget my first Sunday going to church. I get up and uh, my roommate's ironing his shirt. And uh, I'm like, what are you doing? Because I, I grew up wearing wrinkled clothes and not really thinking much about it. And he said, bro, you're in the South. Down here south of the Mason-Dixon line, we iron our shirts. He said, you know, if you don't go, if you go to church in a wrinkled shirt, that's really uh, sort of disrespectful to your mother. I thought, I said, well, in Ohio, we don't talk about each other's mothers, but that's all right. And, um, and so I woke up this morning in a panic because my shirt was wrinkled. And, and I know it still look, it looks pretty bad, but I spent 25 minutes wrestling this shirt this morning trying to get, this is the best I could do, so quit judging me out there. Timber Creek, this is the best I could do. Um, so honored to be here, and I want to share a message with you. So if you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 11, uh, John chapter 11, if, if you don't have a Bible with you, don't sweat it. It'll be up on the screen, and uh, I'm going to start reading in verse 1. It says, a man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick, so the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard, it, uh, heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Um, the name Lazarus, by the way, literally means God is my help. It's a derivative of the name Eleazar. It means God is my help. And it's kind of a unique situation because in this particular situation, through the lens of where they're at so far in the text, it doesn't seem like Jesus is all that helpful. Uh, spoiler alert, he goes on to show up to the graveside four days after Lazarus has died. The body's starting to decompose and rot. Uh, everybody's mourning, weeping, wailing. And in fact, one of the most famous verses in the Bible, Jesus wept, is from this story. So because Jesus not only loved Lazarus and was beginning to grieve the loss of his friend, he also was watching two of his other friends, Mary and Martha, grieve as well. And so the emotions overcame him, and, and he began to cry. Eventually, he raises Lazarus from the dead. And if we're not careful, we can sort of keep this story at a surface level and go, well, isn't that cool? Jesus showed up, and he showed, how, showed off how powerful he was, and he raises Lazarus from the dead. But the story's a lot deeper than that. In fact, there's a little... A little verse tucked in there where Jesus makes the statement. He says that this happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God would receive glory from this. And that's kind of confusing because if, if you really look at it from a deeper level, like if you put yourself in the story, you're Mary and Martha or you're one of the mourners, what was Jesus' plan? He gets the news that Lazarus is about to die and he shows up intentionally four days late. In fact, both Mary and Martha... Uh, said to Jesus separately, Lord, if you had been on time, this wouldn't have happened. You are powerful enough. You're strong enough. You could have dealt with this and saved us all a whole bunch of tears and the pain of loss. What are you, what are you doing? Why did you do that? Now, when it says, well, he did it so the glory of God would be revealed, and of course we know 
uh, in hindsight, we know that Jesus eventually raises him from the dead. Let's really think about this. What was Jesus' plan? Was, was Jesus like, you know, hey, watch this, boys. Here's what I'm about to do. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to let him die. I'm going to let him die. And I'm going to wait until everyone is in the valley of despair. When they are grieving. And when they're really wounded. When they're really wounded, I'm going to show up on the scene and do a zinger miracle and pull him out of the grave and go, check me out. Aren't I great? Is, is, is that what he meant? When he said, I'm going to do this so that the glory of God would be revealed? Because that's kind of sick. If that was the plan, I'm, I'm going to wait till everyone is completely crushed and I'm going to let my friend die so I can bring him back and show off my power. Now, this, is a, this brings up an interesting question, because if you're in this room today and you've gone through loss, if you've gone through uh, like Jesus seemed to show up four days after the person died, or where were you, Lord? Uh, why God? Why did you let me go through this? Why did you let this happen? If you found yourself disappointed by God, um, you found yourself in a painful situation, and you're wondering, you know, Jesus, this just doesn't seem very godlike what you're doing here, because uh, you're either showing up late, or maybe you don't care. We're confused. We're like Mary and Martha. We're friends of Jesus, and he doesn't seem to be as bothered by our situation as we are, and you're asking honest questions. Um, I want to, uh, first of all, start with this concept. I, I, I hear this phrase all the time. In fact, some of you in this room have probably said it. Guaranteed you've all heard it. And it's when re something really bad happens and, and people say, <clears throat> you know, everything happens for a reason. Um, in fact, <laughs> I, I have people come to me from time to time. They'll say, I'm a firm believer. I'm a firm believer that everything happens for a reason. And if I do my job today, you'll never say that again. I hope you never say that again. Everything happens for a reason. Um, everything happens for a reason works in certain scenarios. For example, if you lose your job and you're going through a tough time and uh, you're dealing with tough finances and, and, and something that was rough, um, you work through it and you develop some grit and some fortitude, and somebody says, hey, everything happens for a reason. That kind of works there, you know. Going through a hard, going through a hard time, you kind of go, you, you conjure up images of, of the pursuit of happiness, you know, and Will Smith is, is, is homeless, and, and he's living in the subway with his son, and, and they're holding each other, and, and at the same time, you know, he's trying to become a trader and, in the finance world, and, and eventually he's gonna end up rich, and eventually he's gonna end up successful. But right now, everything happens for a reason, man. You're developing this fortitude, you're developing this great everything happens for reasons encouraging in that scenario it's also encouraging if you're like rocky balboa and you're sort of a lone shark and you're just getting beat up and you're kind of down on your luck and and everything happens for a reason man come on keep swinging keep going eventually you'll be heavyweight champion of the world and so so we, we kind of like in those types of scenarios everything happens for a reason 
is cool. And of course, yes, there is times that God will orchestrate situations to allow us to walk through hard things so that he can produce some things inside of us, you know, grit, character um, that has to be produced sometimes in the valley, sometimes in a hard time. My, my issue isn't does that ever happen. My issue is does that always happen? It's with the word everything. Everything happens for a reason because everything happens for a reason doesn't really work in a lot of scenarios. Like, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to suck the air out of the room and be too raw, but I'm just going to be honest about what's going on in the world. Right now, across the world, there's a, a, a nation called Cambodia. In Cambodia, there's a little girl that she wakes up every day. She's been trafficked. Two million children in our world, in our globe, are trafficked every year. This little girl is waking up in Cambodia today, and on the hour, she's being raped. On the hour, she's being raped to make somebody else rich. She didn't ask for that. She was born into that. She was put in that situation. It's against her will. She doesn't even know that Lufkin, Texas exists. She's there just doing what she's told. She's scared. Her soul is being sucked out of her body. Let's pretend that somebody shows up in Cambodia, some heroic people show up in Cambodia. Somehow they bust her out of the slave trade and they get her and she ends up in the United States and she ends up in Texas and she ends up in Lufkin and she ends up at, at Timber Creek and she ends up in your small group. And she's at your small group and she tells the story of how she's been ravaged. And she tells the story of how people have treated her as if she had no soul. How she's been used and abused. And, and, and she's taking you verbally through this story. What are you going to do? You're going to look at her and you're going to say, well, <laughs> well, everything happens for a reason. What? That's got to be the most confusing thing I've ever seen. As if God is up there, the puppet master, creating this sick situation so he can rip the curtain back and go, see, this is what I was trying to do all along. That's weird. It's not even true. Everything that happens for a reason, that doesn't fit in that situation. It also doesn't fit for the nice lady at my church back in Columbus who lost her son, 17-year-old son who ran out of gas on the side of the highway and a distracted driver hit him at 75 miles an hour and killed him like that. Everything happens for a reason. Am I going to say that to her? Everything happened for a reason. Also, it doesn't work for the boy that was in my youth group when I was a youth pastor who went from foster home to foster home dealing with one molester after another. Everything happens for a reason. Is this God's orchestra? He created this symphony, and, and my pain was part of this and that. Uh, what, what about the family that just lost their mom this last year to cancer, left the father with three small children, two of whom probably will never remember, have any memories of their mom. Now he's going to try to pick up the pieces. Everything, everything happens for a reason. So I'm going to tell him, what in the world? What are we going to do with this? Because Jesus says, hey, I, uh, this is so that my glory would be revealed. <sighs> now, if you've been through searing pain or you're going through searing pain or something that I'm talking about right now struck a nerve in your life or you feel some common ground with what we just talked about, anytime you go through horrific pain, you, you're immediately looking for two things answers and comfort we tend to want answers first i want answers but god tends to lead with comfort the paraclete the one who comes alongside the ever-present help in time of need 
If you think about if your child goes into surgery, your four-year-old child goes into surgery, they don't necessarily need you to give them all the information. Well, here's what they're about to do. Here's what a scalpel is. This is what the surgeon's going to do. That's what that bright light does. This is what this anesthesia is going to do. They don't need all the information. What they need is mom or dad to hold their hand, be present. So we tend to want answers and comfort, and God tends to want to lead with comfort, because here's the reality, comfort doesn't come from answers. Comfort doesn't come from information. Comfort comes from relationship, from relationship. That's where comfort comes from. What I wanna do today is I wanna give you both, okay? I wanna give you some answers, some information, and then I want us to to get into some other things. Um, First of all, okay, everything doesn't happen for a reason but I'm gonna talk about what, what are the four causes for everything. There's four reasons that everything happens. And so anything, any tragedy, any tough thing, everything from Lazarus to you falls in one of these four buckets. The first one is the fall, okay? There, there are some things that happen just based on the fact that we live in a fallen world. We live in a sinful world. That, that when Adam and Eve sinned, sin entered the world, and so disease entered the world. So when someone dies of cancer, when someone contracts a disease, those things are going to happen. Malaria is going to be out there. That's part of the fall. When it was, the world was the way God created it, before sin, there wasn't any of that. Now there are those things. And so we have to understand that there are certain things that just fall into the category of a fallen world that we live in. This is a finite world. We're not going to be here forever. A hundred years from now, none of us are going to be here. I know we get that cognitively, but we need to accept it emotionally as well to understand that we're not going to live forever. So when someone dies or something happens based on just the fallen world, we can't be shocked. Like you hear people live in denial. They, they say, well, I, I just never thought it would happen to me. I just never thought it could happen to me. Well, yeah, it can happen to you. It can happen to you. And at some point it will happen to all of us because we live in this finite world. Thankfully, there's a world beyond this world right? All right. So that's the fall. The second is us. Okay. Here, let me just give you some quick numbers. 7.7 billion with a B, 7.7 billion people in the world. 7.7 billion people are all simultaneously, consistently, constantly exercising free will. Okay. 7.7 billion people consistently, constantly exercising free will, which means sometimes we're going to bang into each other. Sometimes we're gonna crash into each other. People are going to take free will and do things that are gonna affect other people's lives. We we, we cannot expect that God is going to intervene, 7.7 billion people, 24-7, somebody falls out from a three-story building and right before they hit the ground, God reaches down his hand and catches them. It's gravity and people have free will, so they drank too much, sat in a windowsill at a three, I can't be mad at God about that. Those things are gonna happen. Guess what happened? the, the lady I was telling you about with her 17-year-old son, her son ran out of gas. He exercised free will to not fill up his tank. That wasn't, it shouldn't have been a death sentence, but somebody else, one of the other 7.7 billion was exercising free will, driving 75 miles an hour down the highway while texting. Okay, that's free will. And so now life is precious and, and died. Now I can't get mad at God about that. That's just the way that it is in this world. The next is, Satan. There are some things that Satan comes against us. There are some things that Satan attacks us with. 
we see in, in different stories throughout the Bible that he, he's a roaring lion trying to devour people. So what does he do? He's going to attack where you're vulnerable. He's going to attack where you're tempted. He's going to attack where you're insecure. He is going to try to bring things against you. And if you give into those temptations and you walk down the sin path, yes, there are going to be some terrible consequences. Some of you were raised uh, as orphans or maybe you are raised in a single parent home because the enemy tempted people who didn't have spiritual roots that were deep. We're not walking by the spirit, we're walking by the flesh, and we go down the sin road. Sin will take you further than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to be there. It is what it is. Satan will tempt you with that. And then the, the fourth is the one that we kind of talked about earlier, which is God. Sometimes God does bring certain hardships into our lives to produce something good. God does not tempt us, but God will test us. He will put you in certain things. Sometimes you're begging God for a job that he won't give you. Uh, sometimes you're asking for affluence, and yet God wants to see, are you generous in your poverty? Or are you willing to walk through this season with integrity? So they fall into one of these four buckets. Now, when it comes to uh, this concept of, of, of everything happens for a reason, and they, and they fall into these different buckets, we look at this Lazarus story because, um, you know, when Jesus says, hey, this happens so that I might be glorified, what's he talking about? It's interesting because that was in Matthew 11. In Matthew chapter 9, I'm sorry, John 11. In John chapter 9, Jesus says a similar thing about a different situation. It says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? Isn't that interesting? They see a blind man, and their first question is, why? Not, can we bring comfort to him? How can we help him? Just, why? It's, it's the inclination to go to answers before comfort. Anyway, verse 3, it says, it was not, Jesus says, it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. Now, here's the, here's the question. Okay, so... Back to a similar way of thinking logically, did, did God make this man blind all these years so that Jesus could show up one day and, and, and let him see now? So I'm going to let him be blind for, what, 20, 30 years so that Jesus could have this zinger moment? No. It's a fundamental misunderstanding of what it means for God to glorify himself or the, for the Son of God to glorify himself. When Jesus is talking about being glorified through these situations. He's not talking about even being glorified through the miracles. What he's talking about is what the miracles would ultimately lead to was Jesus' death, resurrection from the cross. It's the gospel. So if you look at the story of Lazarus, if you read on after Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, it really wasn't about raising Lazarus from the dead. It was actually part of what precipitated Jesus being accused by the Pharisees by them being freaked out. When Jesus raises Lazarus, they went, oh my goodness, not only are we losing our personal um, influence as leaders, Jesus is a threat to us. Jesus is a threat to the entire nation because the Roman government was over the nation of Israel, so they were freaked out that Jesus, as a revolutionary, was going to congregate the people, he was gonna unify the people, and then, they, and then Rome would notice, oh my goodness, there's a, there's a revolution going on, and they would come in militarily and destroy the Jews. So they said, this Jesus has to be dealt with. Lazarus, the Lazarus miracle of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead was one of the biggest factors that expedited the cross. It was the thing that caused the powerful people to say, we are going to crucify him now.
So when Jesus talks about raising Lazarus, it really wasn't about raising Lazarus. I'll prove it to you like this. Jesus raised Lazarus. Guess what happened to Lazarus? He died again. Lazarus isn't still here. Jesus wasn't doing something temporal. He was doing something eternal. The blind man was a contributor to Jesus going to the cross because it's another, it was another layer of reputation of Jesus that he healed a blind man. So what we have to understand is there's, there, there's a depth to what Jesus does in this life that our lives, even our pain or our hardships, are not about Jesus running around doing a bunch of temporal miracles to make our here and now better all the time. It's that our lives would be used, our pain would be used, our grief would be used, not just for right now, but for eternity, for eternity. Um, I, have a, I have a wife and three kids, and uh, our first child, 10 years old, her name's Ella, and Ella, is like precocious, brilliant little girl. I mean, the father-daughter thing is the stuff. I mean, it's just awesome. We talk, I take her with me everywhere I can go. She's like, Dad, can I go to Lufkin with you? I think I could fit in your carry-on. <laughs> I say, Ella, what do you wanna be when you grow up? She said, I wanna be the president and a preacher. I'm not gonna steal her joy. I'm like, hey, you know what, go for it. And. Uh, so I have a relationship with my daughter. Well, my wife gets pregnant with our middle child, who's a, a boy, Hudson. So I'm thinking, this is great. I, I'm fortunate. I realize not everybody has this, but I grew up, I have a great relationship with my father, both my mother and father, great relationship. My dad and I, super close. I, I realize like so much of how I see God and how, so much of how I see authority comes from just the fact he was a healthy guy, he was an amazing guy always had my best interest in mind. He was always willing to discipline me, but I knew it was for my good, and it, we still have a close relationship. Anytime my dad and I had tension, he would throw me the baseball glove, and we'd go in the backyard, and we'd start playing catch, like angry catch, you know, and eventually we'd just kind of work it out, you know, and then we'd hug and go back in. That's how we worked our stuff out. So I couldn't wait to have a son. I thought this is going to be great. I know how to do this, um, and yet my son, as he was starting to get older, he wasn't responding to me, he was super connected to his mom. I would try to engage him, I tried to play with his toys, he didn't want me to play with his toys. I tried to play with his rubber ducks, he didn't want me playing with his rubber ducks. I come in the house, I do a whistle, you know, I do, a, I go, every time I come in, and he would run and hide, and so I'm like, what's going on? Why, why will he not connect with me? And we start to notice over time, like he wasn't talking, he wasn't wanting to talk, that maybe something's wrong, he may have a developmental issue. We start to look into it, we find out, sure enough, our son has autism. And, uh, and so that was like, that, that was a real punch in the gut. To be honest, I didn't know anybody with autism. I didn't know what to do with that. My whole playbook as a father was useless. And so I had to try to figure out new things. And so uh, a man in our church who has a grown autistic son said to me, Greg, listen, you need to mourn the son that you thought you were going to have so you can accept your son as he is. Brilliant, um, brilliant advice. And I did that. And I mourned the son that I thought I was going to have so I could accept Hudson exactly as he is. And, and so my wife and I, we planned to be finished. We didn't think we were going to have any more kids. Just two was fine with us. And we turned the page mentally but not physically. If you don't know what that means, ask your mom after service. She can <laughs> clarify exactly what that means. And um, so one day my wife comes home and she says, Greg, uh, I'm pregnant. 
you know, we're going to have a third child. And I'm like, okay, I guess we're going to be a family of five. And, and so we, we get to the gender reveal. When we go in the gender reveal, it's a, it's a boy. I'm thinking, whoa, like this is crazy cool. Like, okay, I've got this great relationship with my daughter. We'll circle the wagons around Hudson, help him develop in his unique thing and, and his unique situation. And then now we have this younger child, Miles, and I think I'm, and I'm thinking I'm going to have the traditional father-son relationship with him. This is, this is perfect. This is a great, wonderful. Um, Hudson was diagnosed the day before Miles is born. So my wife's nine months. She's getting ready to go into labor the next day. And they told us, just so you know, um, if you have one autistic child, you're about 30% more likely you'd have a second. And so we're like, all right, kind of went in one ear and out the other. I'm not a big worrier. It's got to be really bad for me to start worrying about it. But sure enough, we start to notice some of the similar signs in Miles that, that what we had in Hudson, and, and we take him through and have him screened, and sure enough, he's also on the autism spectrum. When you go, have an autistic child, they tell you they're on the spectrum, but it's not like they give you a number. You know, he's a 5 out of 10 or a 7 out of 10. They're just in there somewhere. They give you all this hope, like, hey, it could be great. Like, he could really develop, and his brain could really turn on, and there's people you probably know who, you know, have little quirks, but they actually have some, somewhere on the autism spectrum, but you won't even know it. They're that high-functioning, or, or maybe not. We don't know. So you're just like, man, I, I don't know what to do. And, and, then, and then I'm struggling because I'm going, I, mo- I already mourned this, you know? When our first son uh, was autistic, we found that out, that he had autism. My, uh, my wife was crushed, and I, I was kind of like the trooper. And then when our second, it inverted. We came back from the, we came back from the diagnosis, and I say to my wife, Hi, babe, how are you doing? She's like, you yeah, know, I'm, I'm okay. Like, we got this. You and I are like this. You know, we've done this before. We know we're, we're going to do this, you know. She's like, how about you? I'm like, I'm ticked. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to be honest. I'm mad. I don't even know who I'm mad at. Because I'm not mad at God. I'm not going to blame it on God. I'm not blaming it on Satan. I think it's probably the fall. I think it probably goes in this bucket. But to be honest, I don't, it doesn't make me feel any better about it. I'm still angry. I mean, I'm not angry at you, honey. I'm not angry at myself. I'm not angry. I don't know whether to go choke at the pharmaceutical companies or is it, you know, is it the, the um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't even want to look at Google because I don't want to be angry. I'm just like, I just, I'm angry. I'm angry at the situation. I'm angry that I mourned this and now I'm back. And it was interesting because my first son, when, when Hudson was first diagnosed, I was like, man, God, you are going to do a miracle. And I'm going to pray down fire. Every night that boy went to bed, I went and laid my, my hands on his head. And I prayed down with all the faith I had. I'm like, God, glorify yourself. Glorify yourself. And I would imagine him waking up the next morning and walking in going, what's up, Dad? You're never going to believe the dream I had last night. Understand this. At seven years old, my son's only recently been potty trained. He doesn't, we don't have conversations he quotes movie lines. He doesn't, I, it's not like he comes home and I'm like, hey, buddy, how was school? And he goes, oh, dad, math's a son of a gun. We, we don't have that conversation. We don't, we, he's not conversational. So I'm laying my hands on his head. I'm praying down, God, oh, God, imagine um, how amazing it would be if you would heal him and he would pop out of bed and now he wouldn't have this autism anymore and we could have these conversations. Like people would see your glory. They would see how powerful you were. And, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed. Nothing happened. Didn't change it one bit. So then Miles now has it, and I realized that I'm not even praying. I'm not doing the same thing. I, I realized it wasn't like I planned it. 
I just realized about three, four months in, I haven't been on his head at night praying. And I went through this journey of like, whoa, dude, I got to figure this out because I'm a pastor and a preacher and I've, I've given my whole life for the gospel and I try to encourage folks, and, but I, I got to talk with integrity. What is happening here? And, and, and I had this very guttural reel, and I know some of you, if you haven't walked where I walk, you may not understand it, and you can judge me if you want, but I'm going to get on a flight and go back to Columbus, and I ain't worried about you. <laughs> but I was at a place that, honest to God, I'm like, I said to God, I don't have the emotional capacity for faith. Faith takes emotional bandwidth. The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, you gotta have some emotional bandwidth for that. Uh, to, to, to pray and go, and to, to imagine, and to try to remove all doubt from your mind, that takes a lot. I'm like, God, I don't have that. I'm fried. I got nothing. Now, I don't even think you're asking me to beg you, because I literally thought, my mind, I'm like, God, if you want me to kneel by my son's bed and beg you, I ain't got it. But here's the deal. I believe you created the universe. I believe you can do anything. I believe you walked on water. I believe you turned water into wine. I believe you went to the cross. I believe you died and you rose again. And I believe you are omnipotent and omniscient and all those big words I learned in seminary. I believe you're all that. And if you want to heal my son right now and manifest your power that way, that would be awesome. That would be great. But if you don't, would you use this for your glory? Would you glorify yourself? Because I don't want to spend my whole life running around trying to spend my energy on temporal things. Now, now, don't hear me wrong. Understand. Sometimes you go into a board meeting. God, I need you to speak to me right now. Sometimes you're in a, a situation with your spouse. God, I need you to give me something I didn't have. Sometimes uh, there, there, there's give me this day my daily bread. Sometimes I, there's a provision that God will do in real time. But what I, what I realize is, God, I, God I, I want you, what I want more than my sons to be healed of their autism is I want you to glorify yourself through their autism. That's what I want. Because the way I, if I'm picking as their father, the way I would pick it is that they would pop up. But here's the reality. There's all kinds of millions of people out there whose kids don't pop up from autism. Maybe God can use it even more to allow us to be in this situation, this temporal situation. Because listen, when my sons go to heaven, they're not going to have autism. Autism is temporal. And you know, any healthy parent, man, you just want your kids to exceed you. And, and part of my pain was I was like, man, what now? My boys, they're not going to exceed me. You know, I want to I wanna raise them to, 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 to love a woman, and I want to raise them to love Jesus, and I want to raise them to be courageous, and I want to raise them to do all this stuff, and then maybe someday when I'm old and gray and I'm ready to retire, I hand them the keys of the church that we planted, you know, courageously, and it's a place, and I go, you guys go, you, it's your thing, your time. I'm like, man, that may never happen. They may never fall in love. They may never have children. They may never be fathers. I don't know. They, they, they may never, they probably will never 
pastor a church or, you know, succeed me afterwards. And, and so I'm sitting here, I'm grieving all this stuff. And God's like, what? Wait a second, dude. You think your boys can't exceed you because they're autistic? What? Who do you think you are? Who do you think I am? You think that I can't do a work with this autism in this temporal little life? to do something eternal, you don't think? I can glorify myself through your boys and their situation. And all of a sudden the prayer changed from God, would you fix this? To God, would you use this? Listen, everything happens for a reason. Forget that, reason is past tense. Not everything happens for a reason, but everything that happens can be used for a purpose. Everything that happens can be used for a purpose. Shift the question. Shift the statement from reason, past tense, to purpose, future tense. God, what do you want to do with my pain? and with my situation. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 says, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, though our bodies are finite, though our bodies are temporal, though our bodies are diseased, though our bodies will decay, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them all. That God will glorify himself in something much bigger than the temporal pain. It will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now, rather we fix our gaze on things we cannot see. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Listen, anybody can bring good out of good, but only God can bring good out of bad. Only God can bring good out of bad. Only God can glorify himself. Do something eternal in your temporary situation. Listen, for some of you, today is a turning point day. You've been wallowing in your grief. You've been stuck in your pain. You've, been, you've not been able to get out of your hurt. And today, listen, it's not about assigning blame, okay? It goes in one of these buckets. That is what it is. The comfort will never come from the answers. The comfort comes from relationship. And the one who stood next to the graveside of Lazarus and cried literal tears down his face, the ever-present help in time of need, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside you in every situation will be with you to not look in the past, but to say, how do I want to use this for purpose, for something eternal. Some of these pains that you have will not be undone. It can't go back and undo the tragedy, but can take the result of the tragedy and allow God to do what only he can do for a purpose. Let's change the statement. Let's change the statement. Let's change the paradigm. Let's change the attitude from everything happens for a reason to everything, here's the new one, everything that happens can be used for a purpose. Would you bow your heads and pray? God, we thank you that on days like this, you show up in places like this and talk to people like us. Lord, 
I think about when Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Part of the comfort that you give us is that you can use every situation for your purpose. That God made he who had no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. And just like you used Lazarus' situation not to just raise him from the dead, but ultimately it's what led you to the cross and what you did on the cross is still working. It's still working. And God, you use things like autistic boys and stage four cancer and third marriages and infidelity and distracted drivers. You use those things for glory that outweighs all the pain. Some of this, Lord, is a walk of faith that we believe that when we go to the next life, it'll make a lot more sense. So I thank you, God, that you use us. Now, Lord, you, you know each of these people, God. You, I don't know them, but you know them. You know the dark nights, the sleepless nights, the lonely tears. You know the questioning of faith, the rough questions that have been wrestled through. So, Lord, I pray that this will be a turning point, a pivotal moment where instead of getting stuck on the question of reason, that we would shift to the opportunity of purpose. In Jesus' name, amen.